God who is worthy of all of our praise. Father, as we have worshipped you already today in spirit and truth through song, I pray that you would help us as we focus our attention upon your word that you've written to us, that you would speak to us, that you would use your Holy Spirit to challenge us and to convict us and even to change us this morning into the image of Jesus. It's in his good and holy name that we pray. Amen. And amen. Take your seat, find your Bible, open up with me to the book of 1 Samuel chapter 8. 1 Samuel chapter 8, as we're going to look at the uh, first paragraph of that chapter, the first 18 verses of that chapter, as we continue this week to go through uh, this series of chasing the crown, or as we think about how people are searching for a king, how we're looking at the life of David and, and how that Israel, uh, his story is really the story of Israel as they are searching for a king, as they're searching for someone to give them significance and to provide them with stability. As we come to 1 Samuel chapter 8, we're going to see that Israel demands a king. They want a king who is going to protect them. They want a king who is going to fulfill them. They're looking for a king who will prosper them. And, and their request in this chapter for a king shows us their complete lack of trust in God. You see, God was supposed to be their real king. God was supposed to be the one upon whom they depended for everything in their life to meet their needs. But they wanted God as a safety net. They wanted God to be someone that they could fall back on in some kind of emergency. And God calls their lack of faith in him, God calls their lack of trust in him, not just a sin, he calls it a rejection of him. Now, it's not flat out rejection. It's not like they were saying, God, we don't need you at all. But it was a lack of trust. It was, God, we really don't trust you so in addition to you we have to have these other things in our lives to make us feel safe and secure it is entirely possible for you and I to follow their example it's entirely possible for us to to adopt a position or to to assume a posture this morning in which we say you know God I'm glad you're a part of my life but in order for life to really work in order for life to be really good in order for me to be really secure I demand a king I demand a good marriage I demand smart kids I demand a, a full bank account I demand something else an amazing job in addition to you that will really make me feel secure. Sometimes, if we're honest, we'd have to admit that we treat God like a safety net. He's relevant in a crisis. He's certainly relevant when we are facing death, but maybe we don't depend upon him like we should day in and day out. And when that is our experience, God calls that a rejection of him. So today we're looking at this idea of how God can be rejected, how we can participate in rejecting God as he calls us to put our trust and our faith in him. Let's look at what happens in our text. 1 Samuel chapter 8, beginning in verse 1. When Samuel became old, he made his sons judges over Israel. 
The name of his firstborn son was Joel, and the name of his second Abiah. They were judges in Beersheba. Yet his sons did not walk in his ways, but turned aside after gain. They took bribes and perverted justice. Then all the elders of Israel gathered together and came to Samuel at Ramah and said to him, Behold, you are old and your sons do not walk in your ways. Now appoint for us a king to judge us like all the nations. But the thing displeased Samuel when they said, Give us a king to judge us. And Samuel prayed to the Lord. And the Lord said to Samuel, Obey the voice of the people and all that they say to you, for they have not rejected you. Look at this. They have rejected me from being king over them. In desiring an earthly king to be their ruler and their Lord, they have rejected me, God said, and chosen a king over God himself. Verse 8 says, According to all the deeds that they have done from the day I brought them up out of Egypt even to this day, for Forsaking me and serving other gods, so they also were doing to you. Now then, obey their voice, only you shall solemnly warn them and show them the ways of the king who shall reign over them. So Samuel told all the words of the Lord to the people who were asking for a king from him. And Samuel said, these will be the ways of the king who will reign over you. He will take your sons and appoint them to his chariots and to be his horsemen and to run before his chariots. And he will appoint for himself commanders of thousands and commanders of fifties and some to plow his ground and to reap his harvest and to make his implements of war and the equipment of his chariots. He will take your daughters to be perfumers and cooks and bakers. He will take the best of your fields and vineyards and olive orchards and give them to his servants. He will take the tenth of your grain and of your vineyards and give it to his officers and to his servants. He will take your male servants and female servants and the best of your young men and your donkeys and put them to his work. He will take the tenth of your flocks and you shall be his slaves. And in that day you will cry out because of your king whom you have chosen for yourselves. But the Lord will not answer you in that day. Let me from these verses and a couple others later in 1 Samuel draw to your attention three things that just jump out to us about the error that the Israelites made in in desiring this king. The same error that we make when we don't make God the Lord of our lives. The first thing I'd say to you is this, rejecting God always involves a wrong request. The reason that they rejected God is because their hearts ask of God the wrong request. Their demand was wrong. Give us a king. Why was that wrong? Because it demonstrated a complete lack of trust in and satisfaction in God. They were supposed to depend upon God for everything. But from the start, God had never been enough. They always demanded something else, whether it was golden calves or whether it was a constant source of food and water or whether it was strong armies or whether it was safe land conditions. They always demanded something else in addition to God. They never really rejected God flat out and outright. They wanted God, but they also wanted some kind of guarantee from God in a visible form. They wanted something that did not require faith. 
Now before we uh, pick up our stones to throw at them, we have to understand that we have this problem too. It's easier to trust God when everything that you feel like you need for your good life is right in front of you, isn't it? It's easy to trust God when your job is secure. It's easy to trust God when your marriage is fulfilling. It's easy to trust God when your body is healthy. It's easy to trust God when money is in the bank. But when one of those things comes up missing, all of a sudden insecurity creeps in. All of a sudden we become anxious about what lies ahead. All of a sudden we begin to be discontent and unhappiness grows in our lives. Israel, the people of Israel. They are not content to simply trust God. They feel like they need something they can get their hands on and control, and we are the same way. It would be easier if we to trust God if we could control God. It would be easier to trust God if we could have God figure it out. Look, I don't even like riding with most people if they're driving. It's not because I distrust you. It's because I just like to be in control of the steering wheel. So if something goes wrong, if I meet the knothead up here at the red light at Carolina 90 or at 90 and Stewart, then I can take care of the issue. It'd be easier if we could control God. We'd find it easier to trust God. But when we realize we can't control God, then all of a sudden we start adding conditions to our relationship with God. God, I'll follow you, but these things are what I require. God, I desire you, but I also want to seek another king. And when we live our lives in that way, we are rejecting God himself because we're rejecting our trust in him. See, Israel demanded a king that they could see and touch and control because they simply did not trust God, and God called their sin rejection. Let's get personal for just a second. What do you require in addition to God to feel secure and happy and fulfilled? What are you working to obtain? What are you most worried about losing? What do you need for life to be good? Your answers to those questions reveal the crown that you're chasing and the king for whom you're searching. But did you notice something that the text tells us in verse 9 where God told Samuel, Hey Samuel, obey their voice. They want a king. They're asking for the wrong request, but God says, go ahead and give them what they want. If the request is wrong, why does God give them what they ask? You see, sometimes God, not all the time, but sometimes God will answer our prayers in the way in which we pray them to let you learn the hard way that what you were asking for was wrong. Have you ever had this experience where you were praying for something and you were asking God for something and you really, really wanted this something and you kept praying and asking, praying and asking, praying and asking and God gave you that specific request and then later you realized that was a foolish thing for which to ask God and that thing that you were praying about, instead of being a blessing to you, it became a burden to you? Anybody? Okay, the rest of you are lying this morning and you can repent of that a little bit later. 
Let, let, me, let me use the words of the great theologian Garth Brooks. <laughs> Some of God's greatest gifts are unanswered prayers. Some of God's greatest mercies to us are in the form of unanswered prayers. Some of you this morning, you may be mad at God because you feel like God is not answering your prayer. Maybe he's not answering your prayer the way you're praying it because in not answering it, he is protecting you. See, God wants us to realize that He is enough for us and that we can depend upon Him without these other things. And sometimes He teaches us that by withholding what those other things might be. Now let me clarify, I'm not saying that it's wrong to desire things, nor am I saying that it's wrong to ask God for those things. The error occurs when you crave those things more than you crave God. And when you feel like you can't be content unless those things, not God, those things are not in your life. The foundational flaw with Israel's request is that they were rejecting God and wanting something else. Are you making the same flawed request in your life? Rejecting God always begins and involves the wrong request. And secondly, I want you to understand this. Rejecting God always leads to devastating consequences. It always leads to devastating consequences. I don't know if you picked up on this as we read through the text. We got to verse 10 and read down through verse 18. There was a theme that keeps repeating over and over again. That theme was to take that God said, okay, this king that I'm going to give you, this king is going to take your sons and your daughters. He's going to take your crops and your land. He's going to take the very best years of your life. God said, this king that you want, I'm going to give him to you, but he's going to take you and exploit you for himself. You see, when you have other kings besides God, this right Jot this down. When you have other kings besides God, those kings will terrorize you. Those kings that you think will bring fulfillment will not. As I said last week, and I'll probably say every week as we go through David's life, every other king that we seek always overpromises and underdelivers. You see, the irony is that the people of Israel looked to a king to give them prosperity and security, but they got a king who took their prosperity and took from them their security. They wanted a king that they could control. Instead, they got a king who controlled them. You see, here's a very important principle to learn from this experience. You become the slave of whatever you depend on for your happiness and your security. If, if you believe that the only way you'll be happy in this life is to have God plus a happy marriage, then you become codependent. You constantly feel like your spouse lets you down because guess what? They do. Spouses, I said, I've said it numerous times, they are lousy saviors. 
You're constantly tempted to leave when the going gets rough because you think you'll find fulfillment somewhere else. If for you, if you think that you have to have God plus success to find fulfillment, you'll become a slave to success. You will overwork. You'll neglect your family. You'll become jealous of others who are more successful than you are. If money is your deal, if you think, you know what, God is great and God is good, but it is nice to have a little bit to play with as well, and I need money in order to be happy. And if that becomes the driving force of your life, then you become its slave. You rack up credit card debt for stuff that you can't afford, and you won't know what it is in three months from the time that you, you buy it. You, you're, you're not generous with your, your money. You can't give it away because it is the currency of happiness, and you become envious of those who have more of it than you. You become a slave to whatever king you seek. See, all of us have a king. That thing that we must have to feel significant and secure, whatever your king is, you become the slave of. Let me, I'm going to toss up on the, they're going to toss up on the screen for you a verse from Galatians, very revealing verse. Galatians chapter 4 and verse 8 says this. Formerly, formerly, when you did not know God, you were enslaved to those that by nature are not gods. You know what Paul's telling us as it's connected to what we're sitting in 1 Samuel chapter 8? He's saying that for us to seek a king other than God is to live as if we don't know God. Because he said, Paul said, look, in your former way of life, before you knew God, you chased after those things that were not God. So when we chase after those things in our lives today that are not God, it is you and I, we are living as if we don't know God. Everybody serves something. You are either enslaved to something that brings you life, that'd be God, or you're enslaved to something that's going to bring death. The demand of Israel led to death. Where will your demand lead to life or to death. Here's the third lesson. Rejecting God always reveals to us the need for God's grace. The bad news this morning is that we all have rejected God in some way. The discouraging news this morning is that before we meet again next Sunday, we're going to have multiple opportunities to pursue other kings, and some of us will pursue those other kings. But even in the midst of our failure, the good news is that we see the grace of God. You see, chapter 8 ends with God warning the people what's going to happen if they get a king. But they demand one anyway. The chapters that follow reveal that God gives them exactly what they want. In chapter 9, God gives them a king whose name is Saul. 
And from the first glance, from the outward perspective, Saul appears to be everything they had asked for. Smart, good-looking, good leader. I mean, he had head above everybody else, head above everybody else. He had it all from their perspective. Saul, a.k.a. Jonathan. And I think that was his Greek name. And Saul starts off good, and Saul starts off well. In fact, I want you to, to, to look at, at what 1 Samuel 10 and verse 24 says. 1 Samuel 10, 24, And Samuel said to all the people, Do you see whom the Lord has chosen? Looking at Saul, there's none like him among all the people. And all the people shouted, Long live the king. And you look over to chapter 11, verses 14 and 15. It tells us that Samuel said to all the people, Come, let us go to Gilgal and there renew the kingdom. So all the people went to Gilgal and there they made Saul king before the Lord in Gilgal. There they sacrificed peace offerings before the Lord, and there Saul and all the men of Israel rejoiced greatly. And man, everything is starting out great. Everything is looking good. Saul promises change. Saul gives them hope. Saul guarantees that he will restore their status. Saul promises he will make them proud again. Saul says, I will give you prosperity and security. Does that sound familiar to every election cycle we've ever seen in our history. It's the same thing. Man repeats the same thing four years after four years after four years from the time of King Saul and we still believe it. We still fall for it. Every time. And Saul starts off well but he fizzles. And we'll see this in his life as we move toward the focus of David he begins to use the people, and Saul turns out to be a self-idolizing, arrogant, self-willed tyrant. Again, he would have been at home in American politics. At home. The more things change, the more they stay the same. And he ends up being a horrible king. He ends up being a disaster. And if the story had ended there, had God said, you know what? You idiots demanded Saul, and I gave him to you, and look at what he's got you. Nah, 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 nah. <laughs> Bye. Now, had God said that? Now, again, that's one of the many, 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 many reasons I'm not God, because that's exactly what I would have said. <laughs> I'd have said, all right, fool. I'm so glad God does not treat me the way that I would treat others if I were God. And you can say, oh, amen to that too, because you're the same way. And had this been the end of the story, had Saul been the one shot and then God said, I'm done with you, man, there'd be no hope. But that's not the end of the story. You see, the result of their demand for a king led to devastation, but God interjects his grace because Saul was the first king, but he's not the last king. Oh, there were some other kings. In fact, the one we're going to spend most of our time on, David, came a little while after Solomon, or after, uh, after Saul and, and then David and then Solomon and a whole host of others. But that eventually led to God's true king, Jesus Christ. You see, God gave his grace and that he didn't cut off the idea of a king. 
He sent a king who would do better. Saul started well, but Jesus finished well, faithful unto death. Saul thought of his own interest, but Jesus thought of our interest. Saul made Israel his servants. Jesus became our servant. Saul made sinful and selfish choices that caused many people to die. Jesus made a selfless, loving choice that helped many live. Israel had to die because of Saul's sin. Jesus would die because of our sin. Jesus became our king and he proved himself to be a better king than Saul or any king that we would ever ever seek because Jesus and Jesus alone can save and satisfy. Every other king says, please me, obey me, and I will give you happiness. Please me, and I'll give you money. Please me, and I'll give you success. Please me, and I'll give you fame. Every other king says, find me, and I will satisfy you. Every other king says, if you disappoint me, I will make your life miserable. Because every other king, although they may be good things, every other king outside of Jesus is driven by the thief who comes to kill, steal, and destroy. Jesus is the only king that if you obtain him, he will satisfy you. He's the only king that if you fail him, he will forgive you. Jesus is the king for which our hearts long. And by God's grace, we can experience him and his love for us. Let me close by just getting personal with you one more time. You must answer the phone. <laughs> and after that, ask them why they're calling you when you're in church. Why aren't they here with you? And then to realize that after you do that, you must, all of us must choose a king. In fact, you already have. You are enslaved to something that brings life or something that brings death. All earthly kings disappoint. My friend, you cannot find a better king than God. You will not find a better king than Jesus who meets our needs, fulfills our purpose, and forgives our sin. And I'm asking you, in fact, I'm begging you this morning to realize that whatever king you have set up in your life that's not Jesus, that king is going to disappoint you. It doesn't matter if it's your pastor, your parent, your spouse, it doesn't matter who it is or what it is. Every king other than Jesus disappoints us. So this morning, I want to invite you to make the choice that Israel did not make. Make the choice of faith. We know that we can trust God as our king for one simple reason. It's called the cross. And if God would demonstrate his love for us, while we are still sinners. That's a king who will satisfy.
that you have a relationship with that king today? Has there been a time in your life when you cried out to God, confessed your sins, repented of them, and made Jesus the Lord of your life? If there's never been a time you've done that, we invite you to do that today. You can do that right where you are by offering a prayer to God. There's no magic words to say as honestly and as best as you know how. Come before God in prayer. Admit to him in your prayer that you are a sinner. Confess your sins to God. Ask Jesus to be your Lord and Savior. Maybe you're here this morning and Jesus is your Lord and Savior, but another king has started to approach that throne and it's time to dethrone those false kings. Maybe you've been pursuing something more than you've been pursuing your relationship with Jesus. Maybe there is a king in your life today that you need to sacrifice that may even be yourself. To present yourself to God a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to him, which is your spiritual act of worship. I don't know what next step that you need to take today. It may be a next step of salvation. It may be a next step of baptism as Travis uh, displayed this morning. It, It might be a next step of making this church family your home through which you can serve the King of Kings and Lord of Lords. Whatever your next step is, in just a second I'm going to pray. After I pray, we're going to stand and we're going to sing. Just as you are, come to Jesus so he can change you into who he wants you to be. Whatever step that is, you have a question about salvation, you've got a question about that step, you make yourself available to this altar, to myself, to Randy, to our deacons. We'll be glad to have those conversations with you. Don't leave here today, but with one king only, and let his name be Jesus. Father God, how I thank you that Jesus was a king who came and did what no other king would ever be able to do. Father, I thank you that because of Jesus, you can make it possible for us to have a relationship with you. And Father God, I pray today if there's one here in this room that does not have that relationship, that today would be the day in which they realize you are the king that their heart is seeking. They may think it's something else. In fact, there may be someone here today you're listening to us online who's pursuing something else. Father, impress upon their heart that the only way their soul will ever be satisfied is in a relationship with you. Lord, I simply invite you to have your will and your way in my life during this time. In the lives of those in this building today, those who may be listening online, do with us what you desire. And it's in your precious name we pray. Amen. Let's stand.